0: Amazing. Imagine your wedding day on white marble floors, beneath crystal chandeliers, and exquisite ceiling drapery. Nestled on Long Bay Point Marina in Virginia Beach, the Gala 417 is a modern and luxurious waterfront wedding venue. With all-inclusive packages, award-winning catering packages, and a dedicated team of gala girls to assist you every step of the way, the gala is the perfect place to say, I do. Your dream wedding is just a click away. Learn more at thegala417.com. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name Deborah Hatswell and you're listening to BBR Investigations. As previously reported, paranormal and unexplained cases are dramatically on the increase here in the UK and on a global scale. Reports and experiences are being shared by far more people and there are now several places that you can go to report. Sadly, here in the UK the media is not yet mature enough for a subject like Bigfoot and our latest report fared no better when it was reported to the press just last month in August. Tonight I have the recent account of a British Bigfoot which was spotted on the 27th of August 2022 and I'll also be sharing some viewer requested cases with you and I'm sure that you'll enjoy them. So the main question was was Bigfoot spotted on a British beach Terrified tourists report seeing a 15-foot-tall beast. It has been reported that several visitors to a popular Norfolk beach have made reports of seeing a strange creature, described by one of them as Schwarzenegger-like, and a strange set of footprints were found in the sand. Is this a clever trick made by some locals, or is it something more underhand? I asked this as the news story was buried within hours of it being made public. Like most investigators and reporters, I have several sources that send me media reports from all across the globe. A simple Google alert does the same. You just put in some simple keywords like Bigfoot UK or, you know, strange creature. Yet there were no media reports for this report. I was only made aware of it after a BBR member messaged me to ask if I'd heard about the report itself. It took a bit of searching, but I did manage to track down the original posting, which is as follows. The story broke on the twenty seventh of August this year. Bigfoot was spotted on British beaches. Terrified tourists report seeing a fifteen foot tall beast when taken in the sunshine while on holiday in Norfolk. Some of the people suspect it could be Bigfoot. Visitors reported seeing a massive beast on Holcomb Beach over the past week. One sun seeker said he saw a fifteen foot tall creature, and another man said he saw a strange set of footprints. it's the first time evidence of the woodland wild man has been seen in the area, said the newspaper, although there have been many rumours of weird goings on. One man in North Norfolk who wanted to remain anonymous said he'd nipped off for a wee in the sand dunes when he spotted the monster last weekend. He said, I was with a group of friends paddle boarding and I'd gone for a wee in the dunes when I spotted something out of the corner of my eye. I saw this thing and it was about 15 foot tall. Certainly more than double my height, and a bit like Inie it glanced around at me, and I just stood frozen to the spot, and then it bounded off across the dunes into the pine forest there. He added, "I told my friends what I'd seen, but just laughed at me and told me I should get some glasses on the Monday. clammy long thirty one spotted two huge footprints as she walked along the beach with her dog Duster. She said. All of a sudden, Dusty put her nose right to the ground and she pulled me along. She's never been so insistent about something, and she took me straight to those footprints. When I saw them, I couldn't believe it. They must be five times the size of a human footprint. Another local man, Graham Yardley, who's 29, said he had heard of Bigfoot in the area when he was a kid. He said, my dad used to tell me stories of a Bigfoot who lives in the Pine Forest by the beaches. He used to say the creature survived on eating sheep and cows. I never believed him until now. I had a look at my files and there are several reports in the area that could possibly be the same creature that was seen in August. I'm also wondering if the current drought has any effect because this year is very different to previous years. The year we had COVID, we had a rash of um, Bigfoot reports right at the beginning of the year. And then last year, because it was so rainy, we had a lot of floods And the reports came in very early, and all of the accounts were around waterways. This year, the reports are coming very late, and I wonder if that's because of the drought. And as you know, the whole country's been under it for months now. There is another encounter quite close by that I'd like to read, and that's 2018, and it happened in Holt Country Park. And it was um, the father who made the report. He's a naturalist and an avid outdoorsman, and he made the report on behalf of his son, Liam. And he says, Liam experienced something very strange in summer and he was in Holt Country Park. He was 22 at the time and was still heavily into photography. He goes for walks around the woodland Park, taking pictures of wildlife and things like that. One day he called in to see me and he told me that he thought he'd just met a ghost by the pond in the woods. So I asked him to run through the details of the event so I could help him find an explanation as to what happened. Liam said he felt a bit silly for thinking that ghosts were real. Anyway, he's sitting on a wooden bench near the bird pond watching when he started to hear what he thought was a dog walker coming over the grass area behind him. He said the sound was like that rasping breathing noise that a dog makes when it pulls against its lead and kind of chokes itself. Liam thought nothing of it, he carried on watching the birds. After a while, he realised the noise was getting closer. So he stood up, expecting to see someone with a dog, but there was nobody there. The breathing sound kept coming closer and closer to where he was sitting. Liam decided to stand his ground, and eventually he was looking down to where the noise was coming from. It had stopped moving, but now he could hear it from somewhere by his feet. Eventually, the noise just stopped as quickly as it had begun, and Liam left and walked home a bit puzzled. Was Liam shadowed by an unseen, cloaked cryptid, or something not of this world? Norfolk is known for its long history of paranormal, supernatural and unexplained events that stretch back far into history. And of course, we mustn't forget Norfolk is the home of the infamous Shook, or the Devil Hound. One famous case took place in Blakeney in 1953. Now, it's said that Blakeney is one area where there is a recurring tale of an old Shuck who haunts Long Lane, which runs south over Rubery Hill. The shuck, which is mentioned in D.W. Dutt's book The Norfolk and Suffolk Coast, which was published in 1909, is believed to be a phantom hound. The otherworldly creature has also been spotted in Little Lane in Blakeney, as he runs between Wells and Sheringham. Iris Portal, who is local to Little Land, wrote on the Eastern Daily Press in 1953, that she'd seen a shuck and it regularly ran past her garden wall into Long Lane. A few days after Mrs. Portal's letter, another appeared from Geoffrey Booty of West Runton and he said, I read with interest your article on the old shuck and I would like the following on record. He travels between Blakeney, Sheringham and Overstrand and he's supposed to be searching for his master who was shipwrecked on the coast. Shuck is a large black retriever with a chain attached to its neck, said Geoffrey. "What is there's this report. We holidayed on the Norfolk coast one thundery evening. My six-year-old son and I drove along the coast to find a shop open to get milk. I parked up and I noticed my son had nodded off in the back seat, so I ran into the shop and I left him there in the car. On returning to the car, my son was awake, sitting upright in the back, shaking with a face as white as a sheet. I thought he must have been scared of the thunder, but as I opened the car door, I was alerted to a rustling in the trees in front of the car, and I saw what can only be described as an extremely huge, scruffy dog heading away. My son was just sitting there, staring motionless at the dog. I asked if he was okay and what was the matter, and he said that he'd just seen a werewolf. I laughed and said, don't be silly, It's just a big dog. But he said no mum, it had orange fireballs in its eyes and it tried to get in the car. The following morning, when packing up the car, I was astounded to find big muddy paw prints on the bonnet and on the back windows. If you're thinking of booking next year's holiday, you might find Norfolk's a good place to visit. If you want an experience, that's hard to explain. I am really grateful to Ray for sharing the Bigfoot report at Holcombe Beach with me. I've known him for a number of years now and I'd like to share with you one of his favourite cases. And this was a writtenness report that came in to me and he said, something weird happened to me when I was at work and after thinking about it for a while, I'm still not sure of the situation. And he's talking about August of 2020. He said, I'm now self-employed and I run my own company. I'm a locksmith and I have been for over 20 years now. I really enjoy my job for the most part no two days are the same and i get to see lots of new interesting places for a number of years a large part of my work is under contract for the utility companies under warrants to attend various properties and we carry out the warrant before we go down the moral road if that's a shocking job i live in scotland and under scottish law people never get any property removed from them on money taken off them like they do in england All we're there to do with a utility warrant is to check that the gas or electricity meter is safe. Usually because the property is empty and we haven't been allowed access into it to read the meter for at least over two years. Sometimes we may have been denied access for many years or the home's just been standing empty for a long time. We have to make the supply to the property safe. We need to check if everything's up to code and there are no gas leaks or dangers within the property. When there are people still living at the home, and the visit's usually because they haven't paid a bill in over five years. We attend. We had a meter, and if possible, they pay their debt back on a payment plan of around five pounds a week. I don't usually get involved in any of that. My job's just to open the doors. But I still get leftovers, or <laughs> Jumba. the DMV, 97. or. Jumba. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. threatened. I even get a tax on the odd time. i just try not to take it personally. We normally cover the west of Scotland and do all commercial and domestic jobs. And maybe about twice a year, we get a rural run out to the farms, which are way out in the countryside. And some are nightmare houses to find. Like old b and and abandoned farms situated way in the middle of the state. When we get these runs, I usually take the warrant officer with me in my van to save time, helps with directions, etc. This day, we were heading down towards a place called Castle Douglas, which isn't too far from Dumfries. And there's a place near there called the Galloway Forest. It's on the west coast of Scotland. And if you were to go directly out to sea, the first place you'd hit would be the Isle of Man. We've had seven jobs in that area to get done that day. The Warrant Officer knew roughly where half the jobs were, as he had been down and delivered the letters to all the properties the month before, which enabled the owner to make a payment arrangement with the company and it saved us going out, but the Warrant Officer said he couldn't find all of them, and this wasn't anything unusual as none of us are locals to the area anyway. We have to rely on the sat-nav and the directions given by passing locals we plodded on and got four of the jobs out of the way about 1.30pm. However, we were struggling to find this one particular cottage and we had a really crap signal on our mobiles. We ended up calling the office for information about the property and we were told that it was near a dairy farm and to search for the farm on our sat Eventually, I found it and off we went. And when we got there, we found the farm. It had a big gate and there were double locks and a massive sign saying private property keep out. The office told us the address we were looking for should be close by. And there was only one road in. So we headed down that about two miles, and we eventually saw this kind of slightly run down group of buildings at the bottom of the hill. Down we went and there was a sign saying Clamadi Cottage. The warrant officer checked the paperwork and said, Yep, this is the place. It was a large group of buildings that made a U-shape, so I drove in and did a three-point turn in the courtyard. One thing I've learned on this job is always park so you can get away quickly and don't let people block your van in. When we attend most jobs, 9 out of 10, we get to some sort of history of the customer or account or if there's any problem, you know, or to go with care, etc. If there's going to be a dog on site, we usually have a dog handler meet us at the property and they deal with the dog. Just in case, you know, we don't want anyone getting hurt or the dog escaping and getting lost or run over. But in this job, there was nothing written down. So we were sitting in the van with the engine running and she never get out of the van at a farm straight away. Just in case there are farm dogs running around. Collies especially, they're nippy, vicious things, in protect mode. He said, I found that out once, way too hard. We waited for the cottage owners to come out and after a few minutes, nothing happened. I did think it was strange that there were no cars tractors, to the vehicle sitting about. I mean usually when you come to a property like this you usually see the odd Land Rover parked up or the owner's car. We didn't see anyone around and the yard was completely empty. Just then the Warrant Officer's phone rang and it was the engineer and he explained he was lost and asked us for directions to the cottage. He passed him over to me and I asked him where he was and I did my best to direct him into where we were waiting are about 20 minutes behind us, he said. We stopped for the toilet, but that usually meant he stopped for something to eat as well. Once I came off the phone, I said to the warrant officer that we should knock on the door, or at least beat the horn, and he replied, look at the top right window. There's an Alsatian looking out that window at us. And sure enough, I looked, and there was, the biggest Alsatian I'd ever seen, and it was looking right at us. It had massive pointed ears, and I said, rollocks to that. I'm not going in there then. The warrant officer wasn't bothered and he was all, don't be a wuss and he just laughed. He used to breed German shepherds years ago, so we totally loved them. I've got Doberman Cross, it's like a small horse. So it's not that I'm scared of dogs. It was just something about these dogs that gave me the creep. And it didn't bark, not even once. It just locked eyes with us, like we were its prey. I then took it upon myself to beat the horn to get the owner to appear and that's when I noticed there was a second Alsatian dog. It was in the field, standing at the side of the barn and it looked far too big to be an Alsatian. It was just so out of proportion, if that makes sense. It was standing there, peering at us too, and it slowly started to wedge down to the ground as if it was getting ready to pounce or something. The other huge dog was still up at the window watching and there was still no barking from either of them. Just complete silence. Nothing. Just then we heard an engine approaching and it was the engineer. He drove into the courtyard and pulled around and parked behind me and got out of his van before we could even tell him not to. But nothing happened and both the dogs were gone. Even the warrant officer was getting freaked out by now. We decided to just get this job over and done with and get out of there. So I knocked on the door and waited, nothing. We looked through the downstairs windows. We saw no furniture, no signs of any dogs. We kept talking as I picked the lock on the door and then I opened it. I had my police baton ready, just in case that big dog started going mental at me. But there was absolutely nothing in there. We went in, the place was completely empty. It absolutely stunk of a musky urine smell, kind of crossed with the smell you get from fox pig. We looked in every room of the house and there was nothing in there. The whole house was empty and it looked as if it had been like that for some time. It had late 1970s style carpets in the living room and it didn't look as though anyone had lived in there since then, judging by all the dust and cobwebs. The cobwebs were everywhere upstairs. The window we'd both seen the Alsatian looking at us from was up to our shoulder. So either the dog was standing up on two legs, or it was a ghost dog levitating somehow. Luckily for us, the engineer didn't have the parts to sort both metres, so we could just get out of there quickly. But on the downside, we might have to go back next year once lockdown's over. The whole time we were at the property, you could feel as if you shouldn't be there. It was really cold in the house, considering it was August. It really felt as if someone was telling you to leave. You know, if you knew it was best for you, that makes sense. I never felt like that on any other job. And we got to some really old, abandoned places that you would expect to find something paranormal or supernatural. Not a cottage in the Scottish countryside. That was the last job of the day. We'd had enough. We tried to joke about it and we just drove on. For the next few months on and off I had weird dreams about that werewolf. I felt that a werewolf was trying to get into my house or I'd see that he was outside in the park opposite my house watching me. It made me think about it and the incident stayed in my mind. I did some looking into the cottage we visited to see if it was up for sale but I found nothing. I looked into the dairy farm and that's when I found the names of both places. I made the mistake years ago, telling my friends something else very, very strange that happened to me when I lived in Durham. And I still get teased about that to this day. I reached out to the uh, dairy farm owner, and I know a couple of the BBR members did so as well, but I don't think he got back to any of us, unfortunately. Now, the cottage is not too far in distance from a report shared with BBR by Charmaine Fraser who's done extensive work on Bigfoot creatures that are being seen in Scotland. After her own experience when she was a child of eight, she saw a hairy upright creature looking at the trees on her grandparents' farm. Since that day, Charmaine has looked for others who have seen him too. Charmaine was in touch with a staff nurse, um, we're going to call her Staff Nurse Jardine, and she related an experience when she was walking in the woods in Dumfrieshire a few years ago. She was accompanied by her husband and a brother when they were on a trip to Kipford Holiday Park near Dalbita. This event happened when they went for a walk in the local forest. The staff nurse said, It didn't take long for something to feel off about the woods. It was quite soon after entering that I started to become unnerved and paranoid and I felt a sense of danger. It was like one of those horror films where people get picked off one by one by wild people living in the woods. I was imagining us all being taken out. And I kept thinking there could be people in here following us, waiting to get us, and we'd never know. My brother and my husband kept wandering off away from me, and I kept telling them both, please stay close. For some reason, I was really scared. I even started to plan how to fight someone off if we were attacked. It just got worse the further we went in, and I wanted to go back, which we eventually did. Now the nurse lives in Fourth Valley and she says that she can go walking in her local woods, not a problem, doesn't bother her. And she's not had this experience in any other woods before. She also went on a trip to Aberfeldy with her husband and said, we saw the woodland walks and I'd normally do them, but there was no way I was going in there. I kept thinking about what happened at Dalbeety and I felt the same way here as I did there. She went on to say that her previous experience had ruined walking in the woods for her. She couldn't give a reason why, but she felt an inexplicable feeling of dread and danger. She said she keeps an open mind about the paranormal, but knows nothing of cryptid creatures and strange beings out there, and she didn't know about this happening to other people in the woods. What's interesting is her mention of feeling this when faced with going into the woods north of Aberfelder. Woods, has a history of invoking those same feelings in Walkers. Our investigator stated... I've known and worked with her for about four years and when I listened to her account, I could see how it affected her. The conversation was initially about hiking when she came out with a story and I asked her to let me know of any more details that she could. On some of my latest podcasts, I've asked people to let me know if there's a case they would like me to cover or if they have a favourite account. This next case I'm sharing was requested by Mark Hank from Darlington you wanted me to reshare a report from the northwest of England entitled Hairy Teeth. Hello, Deborah. I saw your videos on YouTube and I was initially surprised at the notion that there was a large, hairy biped, similar to those believed to roam in the US in our own British Isles. But after listening to your live stream in Nathan Rio from Utah, I began to wonder about an incident that occurred many years ago when I was a boy. I'm a lot older now. And I enjoy walking in the nearby countryside, just as I did when I was younger. It was 1972 when what I'm about to relate happened. I was 12 at the time. My old hometown was in the north east of England. I was out doing something that my friends and I would do most evenings and weekends. Children all across the UK would do on light nights. we play out. Any chance they had to spend some time outside in the fresh air was taken, hail rain or snow. He said, If memory serves me right, the incident happened one September evening, about 9 pm. I lived in a small area that's village like. It's actually known as the edge of a northeastern town, just a couple of hundred yards away from my old home. And that's where the countryside begins. There are streams and woods and farmland, and the main railway line that connects the south to the north is very close by, along with a large golf course and a river that's only a short walk away. Sadly, more housing developments have taken place recently and the countryside is slowly moving further away. As a side note, my father lived on this street when he was a boy, and he told me that where the semi-detached houses now stood, that was the beginning of the countryside back then. Like many towns, it just expanded after the Second World War. It was dark on the street that night, and the only illumination came from the old gas lamp that was situated at the bottom of the street. It was a long time ago, and some of the homes still lit their rooms with interior gas lights. So with that in mind, you can appreciate that vehicles were not as plentiful as now, and we would just play out all night, and that's what it was like for me, to be honest, in the northwest of England. You get so little um sunshine in the winter that you just go and play whenever you can. He said our witness said, We were playing a game named Kerber, and it's played across the UK. And it involves attempting to hit the corner of the pavement curb with the ball to score points. One of my friends, an older boy called Kevin, sadly died a few years ago, kicked the ball in the right direction but it bounced awkwardly and flew off over the privet hedge into an elderly couple's garden. Being the culprit who'd lost the ball, street rules apply and he was the one who had to retrieve it. Kevin opened the gate quietly, stepped into the garden behind the chest-eye hedge and then disappeared. We waited. We assumed he was just messing about. We could hear some like grunts and sounds and thing, and we thought maybe the ball was stuck in a bush. We stood and waited about thirty seconds, and we went in finally. We just gave up and went in the garden to find him, and he's there on his back in the shadows of the hedge, and he was lay there moaning. He looked terrified as we reached him, and he said, "I've just been beaten up." Of course, we looked around to see who else could be hiding in the garden, but there was no bushes nowhere to hide really just a dark night in a shadowy garden the garden consisted of dug over soil about 12 feet long by seven feet wide there's a high wooden fence separated all the gardens from each other and the privet hedge bordered it from the street the only other exit apart from that gate would have to have come through where we were standing the owners of the house had their curtains closed and I doubt either of the elderly couple had hidden there for an hour and a half or so just to steal the ball. Kevin looked dishevelled. He told us he hadn't been punched or kicked, more manhandled. He was sort of pushed out of the way by a stranger that had been hiding behind the privy hedge. When asked what he looked like, because one only assumes it's a male in these situations, Kevin's answer was alarming. He looked at us and said, he was all hair and teeth. And that was the total of his description. I mean, we can assume whoever this person was had arms and legs because he'd manhandled our friend. Being a couple of years older than myself and the others, we didn't press Kevin any further. And I can state that I knew him all my life and he was far from having an over imagination. Quite the opposite, in fact. He climbed up about that and we didn't push the matter. Just like kids all over the world, a few minutes later we forgot and we're back playing our game. A few years later, I was sitting in a local pub cabin, and jokingly brought up the incident of our youth, and I was surprised at the serious look on his face. He showed me that it did happen, and considering he actually still lived in the area, now being an adult and a parent, he had to force himself to analyse it. Although this time he didn't go into more detail, he did explain what he saw when he went over the hedge that night. He didn't see any eyes and he added that that really annoyed him because you can tell a lot from someone's eyes. He couldn't say he felt closed during the trussle, nor if the stranger smelled strange in any way. Although being in the dark, damp place under the hedge, you know, he wouldn't be able to tell. The only thing he kept saying was that he saw hair and teeth. And when asked to describe the teeth, he struggled and he just said that there was hair and teeth. I suggested that whoever had obstructed him might just have a beard. And as Kevin said, he wasn't one for imagination or conjecture and he didn't want to guess. Time moves on. Living in another area town, not too far from where the above incident occurred, my wife and I took a walk along the country lane. About 2010. We were getting to the age where retirement was on the cards and some might say that memories became really important at that point. I'd heard that Kevin had passed away a few years before, and after chatting to his widow at a front gate for a while, we carried on our way. We spoke to a couple of people I'd grown up with, and when we came across the family that we used to know, we began talking to them about the old days and how things used to be. I was surprised when my friend's wife answered an indifferent question about how things were now, uh, that the area was much busier. She remarked that the kids were still up to their usual pranks. And from time to time, vegetables and shrubs would disappear from the garden in the area. Her husband agreed and said that his allotment garden had taken a few hits lately. It was one of her children, a small boy of around eight or nine. And he chimed in and he said, It wasn't kids, but it's that man with hairy teeth. Well, you can imagine that grabbed my focus. But not wanting to raise any alarm bells and make a big deal of the boy's comment, I looked quizzically at his mum and asked what he meant. And she explained that for a few years now, when the kids in the area had been coming in from their wanderings in the countryside, they'd arrive home late from doing whatever kids do. They'd occasionally mention that they'd seen the man with hairy teeth. And that's it. That's where it ended, Deb. There may be other folk out there who saw him. I'm just not sure how to find them. Our next case is one of my favourites, and one not many of you have heard before. This account was shared with me by a well-known survival expert and wild camper, and he has a YouTube channel of his own. Although these days, he's not so keen on camping alone. Deb, I only contacted you after much to and fro As you know, I'm a wild camper. I'm quite well-known in circles. They didn't call it wild camping back when I started as a boy. It was just a night off the farm in them days. My family ran a beef and dairy farm and it was long hours for not much pay. We always had food and plenty to barter with, but cash was always in short supply. In the countryside, people aren't the food still and back then it was more prevalent. Pigeon, duck, rabbit, pear were all a welcome catch. Now it's frowned on by some, but I was brought up alongside nature and one day I'll return to it. It's all just a circle. I'd go off with my brothers or my friends from around the area. We'd out to the peaks and down to the reservoir where there were always animal sign, and the stream was well stocked, and we never went hungry. Some of the lads tailed off and stopped coming all together. Still, I still see for the odd pint now and then. But Sleeping Wilds never left me. It's my one place I feel like me. It frees me and I often use it as food for the soul. I'm known as a primitive toolmaker and I usually show people how to camp in primitive ways without the use of modern tools. But sometimes even I like a few own comforts. In 2014, I was suffering with a chest infection. I'd been cooped up at home for weeks. It was autumn, but the weather was warm enough to get in one more long camp before winter. I could test and clean my camping supplies and get that long-awaited job done and pack away my light gear till the warmer months next year. The fresh air would do me chest the world of good. So I set off for one of my more sedentary spots. It's set within an orchard, not too far from the farm. It's got easy parking and access from the road. The farmer's a decent guy. He always has a wander over and a chinwag when I pop in. We went to school together, and as most families here will attest, we all owe each other by one relative or another. I'm not going to tell you where it is, Deb. I don't want it spoiled in any way. And after what happened, I'm not too sure people should be heading that way either. I set up my gear. And with this cold bad, I had full kit with me. I had my sleeping bag, my tent and my tarp. I got the fire going and a brew on and the farmer wandered over for a chat. He asked me if I'd seen any strange cars or vehicles on my way in. It's about 7am now. I'd arrived about 615 and I told him no. I'd not passed any people or vehicles on the way in. He went on to explain that for a few weeks now, a number of chickens, eggs and feed had been taken. And he thought it was some wandering tramp or one of the farmhands who were brought in by the picking teams. Um, And he didn't understand why they would steal from him. If not, he would suggest maybe it was a dog or a cat sometimes. But his barley and wheat bins had been raided, which would be very hard on your average cat or dog. And so with many protein sources available, why would they take the feed? I told him I'd be there for about 30 hours or so. I had a job to do on following Wednesday. To keep my out tonight, as my tent was tucked under the trees, and with the grass so high, they might not see me hidden away in there. I said if I heard anything, I'd start blowing my whistle loudly and alert him. We agreed on a plan, and left it at that. I had my bobbin rod with me, so the day was spent foraging, catching dinner and the evening meal. You had snooze and a wander along the river. It was a good day. I had everything I needed. I had a small rocket stove for me, and I made a cup of tea at dusk. It wasn't too cold either. I went to bed with a good sleepy head on me, all thought of this morning's agreement completely forgotten. I must have nodded off quickly as I woke with a start. no idea of the time, but it was much darker outside, but the moon was out so I could see shadows of the trees and the bushes. I listened, trying to work out what had woken me up, but I heard nothing. I realised I needed a pee, or maybe that was what had woken me. I unzipped the tent and the fly, and I nipped over to the nearest tree. I had my touch on my head, and I switched it on without thinking, as I was worried about peeing on my boots. I looked down at my aim when this feeling hit me all at once. Utter dread. I felt like I was suddenly in the middle of a war, and I couldn't see my enemy. I knew they were there watching, and they could see my every move, but I could not see them. It felt like hundreds of eyes were watching me from within the trees. I looked up quickly and I saw her eye shine. And this eye shine dropped to the floor and vanished. I was back in that tent like lightning. And I was stuck between staying and packing up and leaving. When I remembered the farmer and that I was supposed to be acting as a night watchman, not quivering in my sleeping bag. I lay there, I caught my breath, I slowed my breathing right down. And I made the decision to listen. If I heard anything, I'd blow the whistle loud. But nothing happened. I lay there for what felt like an eternity in silence. I slowly slid my hand into my kit bag and got hold of the whistle, just in case. As the minutes ticked by, I started to feel stupid. What had I heard, really? The odd rustle of grass? But that could be any man, any animal, any bird. I didn't hear anything else for a long time so I decided to try and sleep. I got settled, and as I was drifting back off, suddenly, from nowhere, that feeling was back. I felt frozen, scared out of my wits. I felt a movement to the side of my hip, and to my absolute horror, I felt something forcibly pushed under that tarp, under my tent, and under me. It felt like a huge arm, thick with muscle and hard, and I screamed like a banshee. The arm shot from under me and I kept screaming until the farmer nearly caused his own death by opening up my tent. I screamed in his face like a man possessed. When he calmed me down and I explained what had happened, I don't think he believed me. I saw his quick glance at the miniature rum bottle beside me, but I'd filled it with lynxes for my chest and now it looked suspiciously like slow gin. I'd awoken him and he'd come running in the hopes of solving his chicken thief mystery I excused myself, I lit all my torches and lights and I packed up as fast as I ever, ever packed up a tent. I was camping close to Scarfell once when the bad winds happened in 87, 88. That was terrifying. But this was like nothing I could explain. How on earth can an arm that thick and full of muscle not only pick me up like I weighed nothing but also get right up to me without me hearing a thing. I cannot imagine how I would have felt if a hand even touched my tent, let alone lifted it. What about you? Whew. Thank you for joining me tonight. I really appreciate you tuning in and I have you hope you have a fantastic weekend. I'll be back same time, same day next week. Good night everyone. Leftovers, Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Woodwork prohibited by law. ET plus turns the condition supply. the website for details.